The Son of the living God, to be the glory forever. Amen. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the Son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Sunday of Pauna, and it's the first Sunday after the Feast of Pentecost. So most of the readings, the Sunday readings after Pentecost are surrounded somehow around the Holy Spirit. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is doing a miracle, and then the Pharisees accuse him of casting out demons uh, by the power of demons, and he explains how this logically doesn't make any sense, because a kingdom divided itself cannot stand. There are a lot of really nice uh, lessons from this passage. But I wanted to focus in particular on the last couple of verses uh, that we read this morning. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, 
and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Idle words are words that don't have any benefit for anyone. They are words that are lacking in worth or lacking in basis. Um, and there's a lot of examples of, of words that don't benefit anyone that I want to talk about specifically because this is a, a very uh, a very serious warning from our Lord Jesus Christ that we will give an account for all of our idle words. All of our words are going to be account, given account on the day of judgment. So one type of idle word that I wanted to discuss is gossip. Spreading gossip and rumor is an example of idle words. When we think about gossip, we can recognize that maybe it takes two forms. First, there is maybe like active gossip. This is when I tell something that is entrusted to me by another person to a third individual who is not sort of on a need-to-know basis. Like, maybe you could say like you broke confidence. In Proverbs it says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. So I need to ask myself, when I am speaking, when I'm using my words, if passing this bit of information entrusted to me is worth, for example, jeopardizing my friendship, I need to ask myself and be honest with myself, why am I sharing this piece of information that I'm sharing? Does the person I'm sharing the information with absolutely have to know this piece of information? Am I sharing it more because I want to see the other person's reaction or because I want to paint the subject of my information in a particular light? Am I trying, for example, to sow discord? One of my favorite verses that I, that I hope that you guys can hear and, 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 and contemplate on is in Proverbs. It says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. How many times have you gone running to your husband, to your wife, to your best friend, after you heard someone say something bad about them? Ask yourself, are you trying to make them hate them or love them? What's your goal in sharing that information? If we're honest, most of the time, our goal is not a virtuous one. We want to get them riled up. Can you believe what this person said? We want to help them prepare a defense. That has nothing to do with what they mean and, and this is not right and how dare they say that such a thing? So this is one type of gossip and one type of idle word that we're going to be judged for or that we have to give ourselves an account for. There's another type of gossip that I want to talk about which is sort of like passive gossip. This is where I join in a conversation about someone else and tell things and offer perspectives that I have no real basis for knowing. I just want to get my two cents and give my opinion so I can join in the conversation. Someone tells me, for example, so-and-so is getting married or they bought a new business or moved houses or whatever. The positive Christian response is, you know, God bless them, congratulations, maybe innocent questions like what kind of business or what city are you moving to? But instead, sometimes we decide that our opinion is necessary to be injected into the person's life. Why would he marry her? Does he really think that business is a good idea? Oh, he should, definitely should have gone for the three-bedroom house instead of the two-bedroom house. The fact of the matter is, no one really asked your opinion. These are idle words. 
St. Paul commands us to aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business. That's what he says in Thessalonians. So we have to be careful about idle words that we will be held account for on the Day of Judgment. Besides gossip, there's another form of idle words that God will hold us accountable for, and that's grumbling. Of course, grumbling is idle because it doesn't benefit anybody. Grumbling actually destroys others and is often used by the devil to stop or to halt or to slow down the work of God. So if gossip is sort of like passing along unfounded or uh, information that is really not yours about one another, grumbling is like verbally opposing somebody or something, especially somebody in authority. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He made a really remarkable statement when He is talking about Judas. He says in the Gospel of St. John, Did I myself not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a demon, or one of you is the devil? And then it says, Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So what was Jesus referring to when he identified Judas Iscariot as a devil? Was he speaking like figuratively or factually? One of the things in identifying Judas as a devil is something that maybe can exist unchecked today among many Christians, which is slander. In the New Testament Greek, the word devil, diabolos, is, can be translated or is translated in other places as a false accuser or a slanderer. Actually in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, the same word is translated as a gossip or a malicious gossip or a slanderer. In other words, our Lord Jesus Christ is not just saying one of you is a devil in sort of like the theological sense, but that one of you is a slanderer, one of you is a malicious gossip, one of you is talking bad about me to others. So while most of the disciples are almost like bragging about their loyalty to Christ, we will never deny you, we're going to follow you wherever, wherever you go, our Lord Jesus Christ is correcting them saying, yes, I chose you, but even among you, there is one of you who is a malicious gossip, whose word is going to betray me to my enemies. Betrayal, by the way, is almost never a sudden thing. It's an accumulative response to unresolved anger, disappointment, jealousy somebody feels for someone else. The offenses against us, that we do not give up to God in prayer, asking God to forgive the person, inevitably decay and become poison inside of us. So when we look for the example, at, for example, at the betrayal of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have to look at maybe what is the source? A grumbling spirit. Isn't that what Judas did when the woman poured expensive spices on him? Didn't he grumble and complain and say the woman shouldn't have wasted this much money and it could have been much better given to the poor? It's one of the things most common that we encounter both like at work and in service. We come into Sunday school for example and we say, well, I'm happy to help, I'm happy to serve, I'd love to be here. But I can't serve when these parents are bringing their kids in late or they don't care or they don't do the homework or they don't respond. I want to do a good job but I can't because of... And then complaints and grumbling. I'm happy to volunteer, for example, at Room in the Inn and help the homeless. But when the other servants are late bringing the food or dropping off the guests, it makes me angry and I'm not able to do my job. And I grumble and I complain. It's not just, by the way, service in church. You have that co-worker you don't like, or the boss with the quirky rule that 
you think has no purpose, or the client that takes up too much of your time, and you begin to grumble about your job, about your day-to-day life, when we lose sight of the many things which we should be thankful for, we become murmurers and grumblers. Grumbling, like I said before, is like opposing especially somebody or someone in authority. It might be God, it might be my boss, it might be a servant, it might be a priest, it might be my parents, my teacher. Whenever I involve myself in grumbling against someone who has authority over me, I'm guilty of something which I will answer before God. Another thing that is kind of related to grumbling is words that don't result in action. In other words, like I may grumble and complain and I say, I hate this and I'm not coming again and I don't want to do this and I'm going to quit this job. But I do nothing more than ever than talk. And maybe in a more positive way, unfulfilled promises are kind of the same thing. Words that don't result in action. That we are going to be held accountable for in front of God. Think of promises that you've made and never fulfilled. Have you made promises to others that you didn't follow through with? Have you made promises to God that you haven't followed through with? We may forget the verbal commitments that we make, but God does not forget them, and oftentimes the other people whom you made them to did not forget them either. You know what happens to people who do not keep their word? Nobody takes them seriously. If you have a problem with keeping your word, you are someone that nobody takes seriously. The person that you ask for a favor from and are eager to say yes, but you know they're never going to follow through. You know me personally, actually, I, I don't know, maybe this is, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I always get a little bit of a funny feeling when someone is super eager to help. I ask for something and they're super eager to help without knowing the details of what I want or the skills needed or how much time it's going to take. Yeah, when I have no problem, I'm going to help you. I got it. Because if they're willing to say yes without knowing any of the details of what I'm asking them to do, maybe they're just saying words. Part of what God is going to hold us accountable for are these sort of missed opportunities, things that might have been if we had kept our word either to Him or to someone else. Everyone who is even maybe kindly, uh, uh, kind of acquainted with any sport knows that if you're going to do well, that you need to work on your follow-through in basketball, in soccer, in baseball, right? Your follow-through on your shot, your follow-through on your swing, vital. The same thing in life. Some people, when you hear this, they will say, okay, I have the solution. I'm not going to make any commitments. I'm not going to make any promises. Then I'm not going to break any promises. But that's impossible. Life is full of obligations and responsibilities. Involve making, keeping promises and commitments. The path to spiritual growth and knowing the blessings of God are reserved for those who are willing to make and keep commitments. We need to be people who make and keep our promises. That people who choose not to quit when something gets hard because we promise to see it through. That we stick to what looks like lost causes. That we hold on when love has grown cold. That we stay with people who become maybe pains in the neck. We make promises and we care enough to keep the promises that we make. If 
We have people who we're not going to forsake. If we have causes that we're not going to abandon, then actually we've become like God. Isn't this what God does with us? That He keeps, that's what it says in the Old Testament many times, that He's keeping His covenant and His mercies to those who love Him. He's keeping His promises with the people of the Old Testament even when they were breaking the covenant many, many times. We live in an era of unkept promises. Countries can sign treaties and then break them. Couples show no regard for wedding vows and divorce. In this kind of society, we who are God's people should be known for keeping our promises, keeping our word. In Psalm 15 it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Or who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness, speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In plain English that means, he makes a promise and even when the promise is going to be tough to follow through, he doesn't change. By the way, just to finish, what is the connection with all of this to the work of the Holy Spirit, which we're focusing on in this period of time in the church? I think that maybe has to do with another definition of the word idol. If you think about one of the definitions of idol, to run idly is to run disconnected, so power is not useful or used for useful work. So like for example, when your engine in your car, your engine is idling. Your engine is going, but you're not going anywhere. This actually gets to the heart of the problem with all these things, with gossip, with grumbling, with not keeping my promises. Why are we guilty of so many idle words? Because we are living lives disconnected from the power of God. Disconnected from the Holy Spirit that would invigorate and enliven every word that comes from our mouths so that they are edifying. If instead we live each day aware of God's presence, dependent on His power, we'll find that He will deliver us from idle words. May the Holy Spirit be strong in us so that we can be delivered from these idle words so that our words can be edifying for, the, for ourselves and for those around us. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Blessed are they.